Welcome to the Good Listening To show on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. The feel-good show that brings you The Clearing, where all good questions come to be asked and all good stories come to be told. And where all my guests have two things in common. They're all creative individuals and all with an interesting story to tell. There are some lovely storytelling metaphors. A clearing, a tree, a storytelling exercise called 54321, some alchemy, some gold, some Shakespeare and a cake. So yes, who are you, what's your story and what life's lessons learned along your way would you like to share with us? So, welcome to a GLT with me, CG. See what I'm doing there and we're recording. And we're quite literally in recording, just as the uh, loft conversion across the road started hammering. <laughs> that is the notion of Zoom. We love it. So welcome to the Good Listening To show here on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. I am the curator of this lovely energetic space called The Clearing, where anything is possible. It's where all good questions come to be asked and all good stories come to be told. And I'm delighted to welcome to the Good Listening To show Clearing today, a man who I'm extremely fond of, Mr. William Goodchild. I will bid you several welcomes shortly, but you are illustrious company indeed, because I'm supremely aware, apart from our connections of our eyes having met across a playground, which is where I first met you, <laughs> we can talk about that later, you provide many, many of the musical soundscapes to uh, narrations by David Attenborough, because you're a composer, an orchestrator and a conductor. You're my only guest who has a diploma of licentiate in pianoforte. <laughs> and that's not a sentence structure I've ever constructed. But anyway, a, a man who is just a really lovely man, and you are guest number three, uh, William Goodchild, and I'm going to call you Sir William of the Goodchild because it's only a matter of time. And so it's a bit like cashier number three, please. You're my guest number three. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm delighted, uh, and this is going to be a lovely conversation, to welcome William Goodchild to the clearing. Welcome. Thank you, Chris. Hello, everybody. Yes, welcome. <laughs> so I, I, we met, our eyes met across the playground. Our daughters were at school together. And you're, you're also a very generous man in that you've also, apart from providing musical skates to lots of really beautiful um, natural history documentaries and other stuff over time. I know that you're a conductor for the Bristol Symphony yeah. Orchestra, or you were until 2020. So uh, I'll, I'll get you speaking now. So what is a clearing like for you, William? Uh, where do you go to get clutter-free, inspirational and able to think? Yes, that's a really good question, Chris, because the first thing that, that came to mind, there were, there were two things, actually, physical clearing and then a kind of temporal clearing. Um, the physical clearing that came straight to mind when, well, when I was a few months old, my parents... <clears throat> found that they were looking for a house for, for my mum's brother in North Devon and they found this little house and he he was abroad and they they ended up buying this kind of tumble down cottage in a tiny village of North Devon called Welcome. And <clears throat> we were we were living in London. I grew up in London and on the holidays we would go down to North Devon and to Welcome and to have our holidays there. And the first thing that came to mind with clearing was the cliffs on Welcome Mouth, above Welcome Mouth Beach. Um, and I just remember 
so many hours spent there and on that wonderful beach and and particularly on the top of the cliffs looking over left down to Cornwall and then to right up the north coast of of Devon and just it was probably a temple um a temple clearing as well because it was holiday time and it was everything else had stopped and it was just this wondrous wild <coughs> rugged place so when I think of clearing I, I think of that place immediately it was the first thing that came to mind um, by the way delicious answer because of the segue into welcome to the clearing and and you went back to a welcome space in your life throughout your life um, you, your father was Australian, I understand, and he was called Ronald, wasn't he? Yes, that's right. He was born. He was born in Australia, um, and but he 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 moved over to England and to London um, when he was four. So he didn't spend he didn't spend very long there. Um, his dad was was a pastor, and and I think he would he was spreading you know Christianity across parts of Australia which is uh you know when my dad was born there but they they came back my dad was born in 1910 and they moved back in I think 1914 at the start of the first world war um so yeah that's right yes and your, your father very romantically married you in in 1990 I remember reading that about you in the wonderful I've really enjoyed researching you by the way Oh, okay. Well, yes, he did. Yes, he, he married Rachel and me um, in 1990. And uh, that was great. He, he was, I mean, he, he followed his dad into the church and, um, and, and eventually ended up working in London as a bishop in West London. Um, and you know, it was he, he had he was a lovely person. He, he was a real people person, my dad, and a very kind person, a very interested, curious person, great reader, and um, he was just a lovely person. Yeah, and we were very lucky because he married us. He said, uh, he said, oh, one thing I remember about that 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 occasion was when he said there were three rings in a marriage you probably know this one <laughs> it's a great um, joke I, I hope you're going where you think you're going yes well <laughs> no, not there uh with the Australian connection absolutely um no but he he said uh you know there was the engagement ring uh the wedding ring and the suffering <laughs> <laughs> the, we love him for that <laughs> anyway yeah so, and by the way, he was a very independent chap, I'm hearing, because just going back a few paragraphs, you said he moved back from Australia when he was four. <laughs> incredibly, incredibly independent and, and resilient, yes. I, I, um, I moved to Uganda when I was two and a half, so I'm just slightly more independent than your father. <laughs> you probably passed each other on the, <laughs> on the ocean. Lovely. So the Welcome Clearing and the Welcome Cliffs, that's a beautiful place to position us where I'm going to take you through the lovely storytelling metaphors of the Good Listening To show. So we're going to be in your clearing and then we're going to arrive with a tree now uh, to begin to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. And then we're going to talk about alchemy and gold. And then I'll also talk a bit about Shakespeare. Ooh. And then I'll award you with a cake at the very end of our conversation. So that's what the listeners and us can look forward to. So thank you for beautifully positioning. I think it's the Welcome Cliff you said, didn't you? Yes, the yes, the Welcome Cliff, yes. So if I may, um, 
I, I bid us both welcome, and I'm going to arrive with a tree now to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. So this is where you've had five minutes, uh, William Goodchild, to have thought about four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention. Whoo, squirrels borrowed from the film Up. See what I did there? <laughs> and then one quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. Um, you don't have to download all the apples all at once. Let them, you know, drop out of the tree as if we're re-exploring gravity and the physical force thereof. You can crunch wherever you want. So over to you. Great. Well, um, the, the first thing about this shaking the tree thing is that I'm working on a project at the moment, a, a natural history film in which a giant bull elephant in the Kalahari, and they're kind of six tonner elephants, um, there are these uh, fan palms, I think they're called, and the bulls will go up to them and hoik the trees and this amazing fruit falls out of it and, and the rest of the, the, the elephant troop catch up and then they, they have this amazing feast. So, so it was just a, an image that came, came to mind. Oh, and by the way, I love that you're going into the creative process about what inspires you when you then have to write the soundscape for that and how fascinating and if you don't mind, I've been really excited to talk to you about Africa's river giants as well in what we talk yeah. about, partly because there's, you know, the comedian me can't resist. You know, the African river giants was the one that Sir David Attenborough narrated about hippos being a paradox. You know, they're a, they're vegetarian, but they're incredibly dangerous. Mm. And the, the, the comedian in me wants to go to the research of this um, about what you did to prepare because of there is a joke about a, a convention of, of African scientists all trying to debate the derivation of the African word wawumba. And they're debating whether it's about childbirth or whatever it's about. But then the punchline of the joke is, um, I bet you've never even heard a hippo, let alone had one fat underwater. <laughs> so the, the wawawumba. So what I was intrigued to ask you is for your research, William Goodchild, have you ever heard a hippo fart underwater? <laughs> <laughs> No, I haven't. No. So, so sorry, that was a slight tangent, but going back to... Um, sorry, there is one thing that I would like to add that, but because, you know, you were saying about they're extremely aggressive and they do have this um, behaviour in order to mark their territory, the, the, the big males, particularly if there, there are young hippos around, where they'll um, defecate at quite a rate and their tail... Um, you know, whizzes like a propeller and spreads them up everywhere. And I remember that from the film. There's, there's quite a, a nice moment where that, that behaviour comes through. And in the process that you go through, on a serious note then, are you sent mm. the film and then you get to watch it and then your, your mindscape goes to the conductor's space? Because I'm intrigued by your mm. process because the, the music mm. is sublime. Yeah, the, the process is a really interesting one. I mean, if you imagine these films, uh, they take probably three or four years to make perhaps in terms of inception being commissioned um filming and, and so forth and then you have this period of having done the film uh, filming of post-production which will take a huge number of these programs take place in bristol of course whether it's at the bbc natural history unit or um whether it's one of the independent production companies um in bristol but there's this edit process um and it, and it follows just the, the rough shape of it is that you have initially an assembly of pictures thrown together that, that, that you know, uh, that are the beginnings of a story. And I think that the whole project is about making a fantastic uh, story. 
about whatever your you know your subject is now the, the, for something like a natural world film like that you have maybe an edit of about 10 to 12 weeks and during that process there are various cuts which are viewed by um, the exec and so on the commissioners to see how how the thing is going and if possible as composer you want to get in really early because those early sort of early parts of the edit allow you some time to to get to know the film to get to know the story and the ideas behind it uh, the main characters some of the some of the you know outstanding behavior and and the big the big ideas and things in the film as well and to start developing um some musical things that can be tried out and the whole process is very very fluid so you know it's quite insecure in a way basically you know you often write something um and then that sequence may change or may disappear uh, or, or move to a different part of the film and it may be you know so that the, the whole thing is being developed being crafted and the other thing about it is that it's it's incredibly collegial so as a composer, if you if you write for the concert hall or you know a performance, you're writing just music for that occasion. But with a film, you're working with narration um, and you're working with sound effects. Uh, you're working with picture, and and therefore the music is constantly in relation and sometimes competing with, playing against all of these things, these other elements. And you've got to be incredibly good at taking feedback then, because I'm hearing that your sequence might get shunted off and they won't necessarily, if they change the, the vision scape, they don't necessarily always take your music scape. No, they don't. Um, I mean, actually the editors who are, are brilliant at laying music, you know, um, particularly these, these wonderful editors in, in Bristol who, who are working on, on, on these programmes. I mean, they're, you know, everyone's aware of what's going on. And so everyone's trying to make the best use and the most use of what you do. Um, but yep, yep. I mean that that it is. It, you know, you 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 put your heart into it and your mind into it, knowing that you know eventually something is going to develop out of that. And sometimes it's the first thing you write, and at other times you're struggling with you know a one and a half minute cue, and you just can't quite nail it. And you might be there seven, eight, nine iterations of this thing um, to get it right. So there's about there's about 35 or 40 on an hour on an hour film. It's about 35 or 40 short musical pieces. And and the other thing to say is that I'm I'm <laughs> one of the things that I love is silence is musical silence because it allows the listener to be in the place of the film and to experience being there, being in the habitat, being in the environment. Um, and also that space, those breathing spaces, um, also strengthen the music so that when it's in, it's in for a very good reason. Um, it's telling you a part of the story that perhaps you're not seeing or hearing, um, not seeing in picture or, 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 or not hearing in the narration. It's got an independent life, if you like. Um, so, yeah, so it's this balance of music and silence and, and this fluid process. And if you're lucky at the end, we have a thing called picture lock when um, the picture no longer changes in its edit, yeah. it's fixed. And that's a great moment um, because, you know, then you can sort of tie everything down. And, and hopefully you'll have two or three weeks. Sometimes it's more and the job I'm doing at the moment will be six weeks um, to, 
to pull everything together and and uh, perhaps finish your recording and um, you know deliver everything. I love the fact that you've planted the notion of the musicscape and the use of silence there. That's so lovely because there's that delicious uh, supposition that we experience gravitas and authority in life through the use of silence. And, and also you mentioned the word collegiate as well. And, I, you know, in my experience of you, you, you are so collegiate, you know, you're so collaborative. You started out as a teacher of music, too. So you, you've really been there working to enable young people as well. I did, yes. I mean, when you start, you know, I, yes, I, I did. You're, you're trying to find your way for quite a long time, aren't you, basically? And um, yeah, I was playing, uh, doing sessions, playing jazz um, when I started out and teaching piano, hence the, um, that qualification to be able to- <laughs> Yes, the know, one I mentioned. The one you mentioned. Um, and yeah, I know, and it's a kind of funny thing, isn't it? You you. Yeah, it's funny how things evolve and, and what comes out of what. And, and so much of it is to do with people that you meet along the way and connections that happen. And the way that some idea you've got about what you'd like to be doing connects with some accident of fate at some point where somebody, you know. And by the way, even if I may, having you here as my supremely welcome guest in the clearing, you and I have been knocking along, you know, I know we're all trying to find our way. I myself have been trying to find my way. You have done, you generous man, the music to Instant Wit, my comedy improvisation company. You also set the music to Turnip and Flange, where I was off on one trying to do a, a variety double act of Archie Turnip and Harry Flange, something a bit darker called Stamp Trolley. But then <laughs> even now we're back and I'm doing the Good Listening To podcast. This is me finding my way. But also you're so generous because I probably owe you loads of cash but you've, oh. never, you've never taken any money from me because you're always you are a man after my own heart you always say yes yes and and even when I rang you up about this about three weeks ago you immediately said yes and I again adored you for it the good news is there could be uh, I'm, I'm told about 1.2 million ultimately listening to this so I hope someday um, you know you will get the recognition from me you deserve <laughs> <laughs> let's do another one I mean I, I just love those projects Chris, I mean, there's something about music and comedy, and I don't get to um, I don't get to do much comedy in these things. Although in the hippo film, there is a, a mating sequence, and uh, uh, it, it was like the, perhaps the only time um, that I've been called to do a kind of jazz cue for a thing for the for these uh, this beautiful mating, and and they used as a guide for it. Um, Please do it. You know the yes, and it was just charming. But but comedy, you know, comic stuff, music. They, they were great fun. Those projects, Chris, working with you, um, brilliant and crazy. Thank you very much here all week. And also thank you for mentioning hippos again, because just, just for our benefits, I can do an impression of a hippo and then decide whether you can set music oh, to this. Okay. Here it comes. <laughs> very good. I am here all week, as we've described. Anyway, uh, forgive me for tangenting beautifully, by the way. And thank you so much. This is a lovely conversation. Um, back to your tree. So just go there now. Four things that have shaped you, William Goodchild. Okay, well, um, just the four things are family is the first thing. I mean, actually, when I when I, I listened to your question, I just thought everyone and everything, you know. <laughs> but um, cutting it down, family, and and just 
to say about that, I, my own family, but also the families of, of my friends and closest friends um, as well, uh, have shaped um, my life and thinking. Learning a musical instrument, which I started very young, around five or six, because the, the kind of music programs in um, London when I was growing up were, were fabulous. You know, so many um, people were able to study music at no cost. And uh, of course, that's, that's furnished all the kind of professional mu music making in the last sort of 20, 30 years. And it's got much harder uh, for young people to do that. So yeah, learning a musical instrument, and that's been my life, you know, music has been my life um, ever since. And William, um, which was, well, what was your first mm -hmm. instrument you picked up? Uh, well, I started on the violin. I, I had um, my family, I, I've got four elder sisters, um, and all except the eldest one, Gabriel, that um, all learnt a musical instrument. And at that stage, you, we, we went to the Royal College of Music as youngsters, and you had a complete music programme for young people there. So you, you studied an instrument, you might study two instruments. Um, you learned to sing, you, you, musicianship, you, you, you started that process of learning how to play in an orchestra. And, um, and one of my memories is at the end of the day, my sister, my youngest sister used to play oboe in one of the orchestras and I used to go and sit in the hall in the Royal College of Music while she was finishing their rehearsal and then we'd go home together. And I just remember the sound of the orchestra and it, it absolutely, it sort of lit a flame. I thought this is fantastic, you know. I can remember that six or seven, um, having that feeling. And I think those things, you know, um, such a great thing to do and so important whether or not you pursue it in any way in later life. Of course, many do and enjoy playing for the whole of their lives, uh, quite apart from being professional. Loads of amateur players and voluntary players that love making music. Um, so yeah, yeah, so so learning a musical instrument. And who nudged you through the through the doorway of, of you know, listening to music? And who, the, someone nudged you through a door into, hey, here's the world of music for you. I think, um, <clears throat> I think uh, all sorts of things, really. Um, you know, my, I mean, the, the, there was that, there was all the stuff I was learning at, at the Royal College. We, we went along on a Saturday morning to do that. Um, and and sorry, then, my question was, who, who yeah. put you through the door? Was it your dad, your mum? Who nudged you all as a family? Oh, I see what you mean. I don't know. I think, I think being on the end of the family um, with four, four sisters, I think I just went, you know, it's like, you know, I, and I think that was it. So I, I have—I don't have a memory of how I actually got through the door. <laughs> and yet, it's—it's it's musically now part of your DNA, which is just really wonderful to notice. And it, it makes complete yeah. sense that they've arrived at this clearing of William Goodchild music, which you are today. Yeah, I think it's an on. Oh, so it's a cliche, isn't it? But it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? I think I think the thing about music or any any craft, whatever it might be, is that it's a great deal bigger than you are. And it's so much bigger than you are. And it gives you something that you can endlessly go into through your life and you'll never get to the bottom of it. Um, it's always revealing new secrets and uh, discoveries and, and so on. So 
it, it it's it's just fantastic to be involved with something like that and to be able to share it with other people share it in other media um yeah it's 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 there's, a sort of never ending a, process there's such a generosity of spirit in what you're describing the mindscape of a composer the fact that it's collaborative and it's a gift and it's incredibly profound as a gift to be able to realize other people's visions and stories through musical scoring which is what i really admire you for well thank you i mean that's what fascinates me you know i mean if you imagine particularly in in the sort of film industry if you've as a producer you've been developing this idea it's got to commission you filmed it you've been living with with this thing for ages and in some cases it can be six or seven years before the thing is made you know yeah. Um, there's a real passion there in the filmmaker. Um, and I'm just really interested because the music is about how, how the film feels, that the mood of it, the emotion of it, and the drama of it, trying to uncover what a producer is wanting to feel, what, what they want the audience to feel. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that you don't have any common language. So I think there's a lot of instinct involved. You know, I, th I think there's only one producer that I've worked with that had any kind of musical training. And it was one of the early ones, early projects I did. And it was actually really helpful at that stage. But most producers know how they want to feel, but they have no idea really how to communicate that. And so there has to be this simpatico. Um, between you and to try and uncover it. But that's what I consider my job yeah. is to really get under the skin of what that is and, and serve the producer in the film. That makes such profound sense in our journey of the stuff you've done for me, uh, which I know is really small for of the other stuff you've been doing, but it, it's because I, there is a simpatico, as you said, what a beautiful word, because I am very unmusically gifted. I'm all about the verbal stuff. And so I absolutely, you know, where somebody, where I end, somebody else begins, and you absolutely do that as a composer, which is a profound skill. Yeah, I don't know. There's a sort of magic that happens, isn't there? And I think it's like, you know, it's in the communication, isn't it? And 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 in the in the in the friendship and and these other things that that some sort of magic happens. And I don't quite know where it comes from. And and a lot of it is kind of toe testing you know trying something um but yeah you remember by the way there was a recurring joke in our working together i used to find myself funny when i said it but i always used to say to you so just when are the banjos coming in <laughs> <laughs> that's right it was all banjo centered wasn't it yeah it, that's it right. was the, and what's the, the there's a joke isn't there about if if you're on top of a, a very high-rise building and you, you simultaneously throw a set of bagpipes and an accordion. You throw them off the roof simultaneously. <laughs> Which instrument hits the ground first? And the punchline is, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> which does them as a really bad disservice, I know, because there's a place for every instrument, which is the great thing. Yeah, I, I just um, let you into something at the moment, which is that, that I'm, I'm exploring at the moment the potential of animal calls to be instruments. Oh, wow. And the potential is, it is there. It's really quite extraordinary. And, and I'm working with a young sound designer called Dan Pollard, um, who, who I taught a few years ago. I did a bit of teaching at Bristol University on, on a music for film course. 
and, and Dan is a very brilliant musician and we we're sort of working together to take these sounds and see what we can create, what new instruments we can create. Now, the, the, the point about it is, is that when you finish messing around with them, you don't know that that's what they are. But there's there's something alive in in the tone when when a sound is made by whether it's a person, you know, a vocal sound or from an animal. There's something alive in the DNA about the sound. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm just we're, we're sort of experimenting with it and, and to see if it can become a part, become a sort of element in, in the score for the project I'm working on at the moment. Which allows me to say, listen to this space. Lovely. Back to your tree. We're still shaking away here. And forgive me if I keep going down rabbit holes of tangents. This is really exciting. So we're, we've had, we're still on shaping you, but we'll get on at a bit of a lick now. So other things that have shaped you. There are other things that have shaped. Um, well, I, I actually do a bit of yoga now, Chris. And um, my wife, Rachel, has been doing it for a long time. Her mother has been doing yoga all her life, um, Janet who's in her mid 80s now. Um, and finally, I, I, I had that thing in the morning, you know, when you're when you're putting on your socks and you notice those strange sounds that you make when you, <laughs> <laughs> you bend over to, and there's a sort of creak and there's also a uh, sort of thing. Um, and, and Rachel, you know, ever vigilant, um, spotted this and said, look, it's really time uh, to to for you to give this a shot so this is about now five years ago and um i started a class in bristol which we did once a week and i'm now doing online twice a week with a fantastic teacher called jan dean and uh if we're talking about um things that that, that shape you that that's definitely one of them because you're not a short man, shall we say? You're quite tall, aren't you? So I can I totally relate to the other end going as you try and get yeah. <laughs> And I am completely that I play tennis and ping pong to keep myself agile and swim. Um, I I I think I my my suspicion is I don't have the patience ultimately for yoga. I've I've dallied with it, but I invariably find I have to wait too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. I mean, it's incredibly slow. And and when I when I think now, because I. I I, I wrote to the court and just said, I was just really interested. When did I actually start this? And she said, we actually started in kind of January 2016. And I was having all kinds of sort of like arm problems and things with conducting things that I'd never had before. And I thought I've got to try, try and sort of, I don't want this to deteriorate. Do you know what I mean? Just left, left to its own devices. Yes. And I think, and I think the thing that I like about yoga is it's a bit like, it's a bit like learning a musical instrument in, in, in the sense that it is incredibly slow and it's very gradual. You don't actually notice from week to week that you're making any improvement at all. Yes. But if you look over the, the, the bigger span, um, there's definitely a, a, a little bit of improvement going on um, in, in, and mentally as well. Definitely. And well, bless you for your health, UK health segue into the use of yoga there. I like you. You're, <laughs> you're gold here in this space. And also, it's lovely watching you conduct, by the way. We mm. all know what a conductor in yeah. our life. You are a joy to watch when you're conducting as well. Thank you. Sorry, I, I sound a bit like I've been stalking you in this place. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you. Yeah. Oh, there he is again, watching me conduct. No, I, I know where you live, though, but that's the important thing to remember. So if I'm by your window later on, you'll know that I've, I've moved in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we might have arrived at the end of shaking the apples of shaping. Mm. Um, now three things that inspire you. 
All right. So the three things that inspire me are my wife, Rachel, who I've been married to for, for 30 years. Um, she's a very creative person and she's a visual person. So where, where my, my sort of line of work is, is sound and, uh, and music and things, hers is um, design, surface design. And that, that's been an amazing combination because um, I think, I think uh, there, there are these really interesting parallels that happen between different, um, different disciplines and things. And um, so she's, she's hugely um, inspiring for me, Rachel, in, in all sorts of ways. And sort of, yeah, keeping, keeping, keeping me focused, just, just being together. We, both, we, we basically, we both, we both work from home. We, we work from home for a very long time, you know, together. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And she's got, she's even the expression she's got your back. She's watching you when you can't put yeah. your socks on. Literally got my back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Right. I love that. A very generous big shout out to your wife, Rachel. Yeah. There. yeah. Um, uh, and then the other two, I mean, uh, we've, we've talked about music um, already and, 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 the, and then this aspect of it sort of casket, the, the sort of, yeah. Um, the, the cascading out of appreciation for music through into other things as well. Um, for example, Rachel's dad, Peter Swan, um, is a painter and an artist. He's in his sort of, I think, mid eighties now. And he's been an enormous friend. And every time I have a conversation with him, I, I sort of come away thinking about something differently. He's so sharp, he's so observant, of course, as a painter. Um, but he, he just says things. And one of the things that he said to me that was uh, it's always kind of stuck me with a bit. He said, you know, he was about 75 or something at the time. He's been painting his entire life and he paints uh, uh, still lives, landscapes, um, a little bit of portraiture, but usually in context of something. But he said he, he, he kind of sat down to, to do this still life. And he said it took me two hours to get any to get a mark on the canvas that that had any kind of any life to it wow. and he said you think by now i'd know how to do this and i just thought that that was so spot on um because you know that's what it's like it's a weird thing you think the more you do something the quicker and the better and everything actually i think a lot of the time it gets more complex and gets harder to do so I find, you know, I always find conversation with him as well, really, really inspiring. And he just makes me think about all of these things in a different way. And we have a, a good laugh of, about it all. A very precious time yeah. with the painter. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the creative process described therein, very complex and, and complex and simple. It's, it's very profound. Yeah, I have so much respect for him because he he's he's sort of really pure uh, in a way i, I mean he'd hate he'd say that and he wouldn't describe himself as that at all but he engages with what he's doing there's no formula there's no he he starts from the beginning each time i think that that that's the sort of point that he was making um and i think that's that's it that's what it's about it's your stuff. equivalent is an empty musical scape and you've got the the empty page in front of yeah. you yeah yeah 
Uh, the Russian composer Prokofiev, you know, he was saying, he, he sort of, um, he put this really well, you know, he was saying, you know, writing a melody is about the hardest thing that you can do. You know, you either write something that's, that's simplistic and obvious, or you end up writing something that's too complex or involved or self-conscious or contrived or whatever. To write something that's got a freshness about it and and says it well is so hard and that's coming from Prokofiev one of the you know one of the greatest writers of of melody ever you know if you think of all of those tunes in um it's by the way it's that it's always the, what yeah. I'm loving is it's the deep thought involved in creating the simple and the pure and there was a painter and decorator I met once called Keith whose punchline was, yeah, I'll flop it on for you. He <laughs> that he was going to come and flop it on. And there's no sophistication there. And, you know, it, he was a bit Captain Couperinol, which is an advert, you know, does exactly what it says on the tin. He did indeed flop it on. But there was no sophistication <laughs> there. <laughs> but what you're talking about beautifully is sophistication involved in the creative process. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, and I also think that, that sort of thought get, can get in the way of it as well. You know, you can definitely think too much and you can overthink it. And having that kind of spontaneity that, you know, that you had when you were four or five, when you were flopping it on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's what you want to recapture. Yeah, it is. And mm. my job is to get us to sort of get going with the narrative. It's my fault because I keep going down these wonderfully delicious rabbit holes. It could even be worst case scenario. We'll have you back here in the clearing because this is great. <laughs> We're not in any hurry, but I just want to go through the structure a bit, a tiny bit faster now. Yeah. So um, two things that never fail to grab your attention. And if there's oh, any, that, if there's any yeah. parallel, it doesn't matter. No. So the first thing is a really good story. And, and the second thing that, that never fails to grab my attention is the behaviour of our cats. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find infinitely fascinating and, and totally unscrutable most of the time. I love that. That would be so relatable to so many. You're, you're an acute observer and a listener. Great theme throughout. You just love watching and listening. And that's yeah. how you become a composer. I'm, that's the simplicity. Did you not know that? It's because you're very good at listening and you're very good at watching. Why don't you think of composing? It's what you do. <laughs> now, one quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. Oh, when I was eight, my 19-year-old sister shot me with a, uh, a Maasai tribe uh, arrow, hunting arrow in, in our back garden. You are quite literally the only person I'll ever have in the clearing with that quirky fact. Thank you. Do you want to tell us any more about that? Have you forgiven her? I forgave. I didn't even think about forgiving it. It never occurred to me. I mean, it was an accident. And, Obviously. Uh, she, she'd, she'd been travelling. I think she was doing voluntary service overseas in her, in her sort of 19th year. She came back and she, she brought, you know, spears and arrows and bows and gourds and... Uh, Mbira thumb piano. She brought, brought back loads of stuff from her from her travels. She was nineteen. It's amazing to think. And of course, that I was eight, and the first thing that I spotted was this two bows and the and this these arrows, which were amazing, and had been given as a gift. I mean, the, the thought of kind of walking through customs with those now, you know, is kind of anyway. She did, but anyway, we got back. So we, she said, "Well, look, I'll demonstrate how they work." And we we had a long, narrow garden. And she she did the first one 
shot down the garden, stuck in the back wall. And then I noticed, like, our dog was was about three quarters of the way down down the garden. So I said, hold on a minute, I'll, I'll go and get the dog and I'll stand to the side and I'll watch it go past. So I, I got the dog and we, we, we stood to the side, what felt like well to the side. And uh, she shot, and I can't remember if it was this, that one or, or the one after. Anyway, she shot and, and the arrow just went straight into my head here. Oh, my gosh. Right in the centre of the forehead. Good shot. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic shot. <laughs> and I'm my mother, we, 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 you know, the, the back of the house, there was just a window and you had to come round to get into the garden. My mother was looking out the window and she said, I knew it was going to happen before it happened. There was nothing I could do about it. And so, so what I remember then was, was my, my, my mother and father came out and my mother held my head and my dad pulled it out. And then they, they stuck a pad on it and they, we, we rushed into the car and I remember passing my sister in the garden and I, I, I remember feeling it, you know, it's fine. And I was actually really worried about her because she was left behind. Wow. Um, she didn't come in the car. And I remember just like, I remember just being really worried about what she must be feeling and, and, and everything. But anyway, we we drove like crazy to a hospital. The first one was closed and the second one was open. And uh, there was a Nigerian doctor in, in on, on A&E. And, and he damn, he said, this is nothing. I've, you know, he'd seen people with <laughs> many more arrow injuries than that. Um, and yeah, so anyway, that's a strange, strange. Blimey. Uh, and because, so uh, there's a William Tell thing there because it was nearly the arrow. Yeah. So, <laughs> William Tell. Tell you what, you stand there and I'll just shoot you with the arrow. <laughs> William Tell Overture. William Tell Overture as well. It's going to just keep on giving. It's part of your DNA as a composer. <laughs> But yes, thank you for that extremely quirky and unusual fact that nobody will ever top, I don't think. <laughs> Wonderful. I love your generosity as well about worrying about her when you've got a mass arrow embedded in your forehead. Bless you. I think it must have been terrible because, I mean, if it had been an inch either way, it would have gone into my eye and that would have been it. It would have all been over. It actually hit the hardest part of the skull there. Yes. Um, so it was a good shot, you know, but I think for her it was just, you know, just thinking about what might have happened. I yes. Think, you know. Wow. So mm. now we've shaken your tree. Thank you very much indeed. And again, forgive me if I go at any pace now, but we're going to talk about alchemy and gold now. When you're at purpose and in flow, William Goodchild, and you've been mm. giving me alchemy and gold throughout this conversation, but what are the diamonds beneath your feet? What are you here to reveal to the world? You know, when you're at purpose and in flow, what's your alchemy and what's your gold? Um, I wasn't quite sure what that, and I actually looked up diamonds beneath your feet and, and <laughs> there's been a scientific study using seismic sound waves where they, 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 can, they can send these waves into the ground and, and they've located an unfathomable amount of diamonds. There's this kind of diamond layer uh, below the surface and it's, it's somewhere between 90 and 150 miles below the surface is where the diamonds are. So between, we know where they are, but we just can't get to them. We oh. can't get to them. <laughs> I thought that because of the nature of diamond and its density, they can, they can, you know, they can zap sounds through the earth and then they can see how the sounds behave as they go down. Yes. It's extraordinary. It's like, I, I don't know how they do it, but I found that really fascinating. There's just a lot of things we don't know. Um, so, 
Yeah, uh, so that doesn't really answer the question, but I was trying to understand what diamonds beneath our feet meant. I, I thought maybe it meant that that what we what we have around us and if you know is is the stuff that that we make our life with really everything that's around us the people that are around us comes back to the earlier thing um so is that is that it or is it, is it more no no what i love about that was your again you defaulted to being really generous and making about other people it's about you know in the mm. in the right way selfishly when when you are in flow what mm. is it you bring and you're, you're bringing it anyway. It's a generosity of spirit. So you're sort of answering it by not answering okay. it. Okay. Hmm. There is a greater rift that I'll describe to listeners about why I keep talking about diamonds beneath your feet, but I will unfold that for the listeners of the show later. And forgive hmm. me if that wasn't clear for your answer, but I loved your answer. No, it's fine. I, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think, I think for me, it's, it's about getting, you know, it, it, as we were saying, you know, when you're four, you're, you're effortlessly in that zone, aren't you? Of, of making, creating, observing, doing all of these things. And I think it's much harder later on because your, your thought processes are much more invasive in everything. But, but in terms of getting in flow um, and being at purpose, it's, for me, it's about the regularity of working. You know, um, Woody Allen was a great proponent of that. He only worked nine to five. Uh, I, I remember he said seventy-five um, percent of success is is turning up, and I've I've always thought that was spot on. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> that should, um, we need to say that again. Seventy percent, seventy-five percent. Should uh, you say it? Seventy-five percent of success in life is simply turning up. This was Woody Allen. Love and, that. And the other thing is that he he kind of approached directing and producing his films is a kind of nine to five job. And I love that because if you're going to do anything for, for any number of years, you've got to, it's got to work as part of your life. You know, you can't be working 20 hours a day. Uh, you can for a small period of your life, but it's not yes. going to sustain. So um, yeah, I, I like that. And I like that. And I met some people when I was younger that, that did that. I met John Williams, the guitarist um, through some friends and he was the same, this phenomenal talent phenomenal talent as a musician and guitarist um, but music in his own life formed a kind of part of it it wasn't the whole picture yes um, and he'd be going off one day in the car and say, oh where are you going he was going up to the NEC you know to to do a, a, a concert up there and he was just like you know he was like he had a kind of folk musician mentality um, but with this extraordinary talent um, so I think being part of life and making whatever it is that you're working in a creative way, whether you do it professionally or not, just a part of that. William, what's so lovely here is, is you, I, I'm convinced you are going to be a to be continued because I'm, I'm coming up to sort of the end of the, the, the scope of the programme. But as, to give you a, a cake now, your cherry on the cake, it's the legacy of our conversation. How would you like to leave us? And it can go into Shakespeare's All the World a Stage and All the Men and Women Merely Players. When all is said and done, William Goodchild, what's your legacy? How would you most like to be remembered? <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's up to other people how they remember me. I, I can't. I can't sort of influence that really. Um, I, there was just one quote which I've always remembered. I had a piano teacher called Sidney Harrison who was pretty ancient uh, when I was learning with him, and, and I remember going along and playing one day, and um, I just said, oh, "It's so difficult this piece," uh, and he stopped me right there, and he said, "It's not difficult. It's impossible. And what you've got to do is make it sound easy." Oh, wonderful. 
and and that's it that that's really it and and that was like a sort of incredible wake up moment just say that again that quote and we'll let that hang there with a bit of silence on the end go for it it's not so it's not difficult it's impossible and what your job is to do is to make it sound easy WilliamGoodchild.com is where we can find out more about you. You're also on Wikipedia. Woo, get you. And um, thank you so much for gracing us here with your presence here in the Good Listening To show clearing. To be continued, would, will you come back and speak to me again another time? Absolutely, Chris. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to just chat again together, which we haven't done properly for a while. So it's been great. And remember, I know where you live and I'll be at your window shortly. Oh. <laughs> thank <laughs> With you very the much. dad's army foliage. Lovely jubbly. I'm in the shrubbery. So thank you so much. Uh, and you've been listening to me, Chris Grimes, on The Good Listening To Show. This has been William Goodchild, a delightful third guest, please. Cashier number three, please. And good night. So I've left myself with about 33 seconds to do an outro. Go me. How's that for radio broadcasting discipline? That was the lovely William Goodchild. If you've enjoyed the show, do pop along next week to listen to more stories from The Clearing. Just to remind you, we are the world's number one talk health radio and you can listen to UK Health Radio live on demand or on the gear on UK Health Radio on the app. Just ask Alexa. All good. And so until next week, I've been Chris Grimes. To your good health. And goodbye. You've been listening to the Good Listening To Show here on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. Oh, it's myself. If you've enjoyed the show, then please do tune in next week to listen to more stories from The Clearing. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do so. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the show too. You can contact me about the programme, or if you'd be interested in experiencing some personal impact coaching with me, care of my Level Up Your Impact programme, that's chris at secondcurve.uk. On Twitter and Instagram, it's... At that Chris Grimes. So until next time, from me, Chris Grimes, from UK Health Radio, and from Stan... To your good health. And goodbye.